0: Back once again as we roll through up until six o'clock tonight as we kick off the five o'clock hour with our old friend Zubin Mahente. You see him on ESPN, ESPN Sports Center, and he joins us here today. Zubin, what's going on? Great to be with
1: you. We were on after the SB's last night, and obviously that was a pretty powerful moment for a variety of reasons. And then the slowest sports week of the year got probably the biggest Major League Baseball trade of the year. And probably the most impactful NBA trade of the year, realizing, of course, that LeBron was a free agent signing. So for a week that doesn't really generally provide much, I think the SB's provided a ton to think about. But at the same token, um, Manny and Kawhi shook the foundation of their respective leagues. Pretty amazing.
0: Yeah, we're going to get into that. I do want to talk about Kawhi with you a little bit. Here today, but before that, uh, on a local level, you had mentioned uh, you were listening to myself and uh, Dr. Fuller with Fuller Family Dentistry the other day, and and we'll be playing that here during Jimmy B and TC tomorrow in our Hawkeye Swarm segment, but we were taking a look back at 2002. Now, for somebody of my generation, it was a perfect time. I'm in college, having a great time. It was an unbelievable season, 2002 for Iowa football. It's my favorite season ever for the Hawkeyes. Yet it has a loss to Iowa State in it. And, and Zubin, you were working here during that time period. Take us back to your memory bank of 2002 in that football season. It was amazing. I was actually on the Hawkeye
1: beat as much as you could be on the Hawkeye beat. Because I've always found maybe trend is a little different 16 years later. I'm guessing it isn't. The uh, the access and restrictions to Hawkeye football. We were pretty severe back then, and yeah. we got everybody we needed on a Tuesday. Kirk talked, and all the players were available, and we would go down to some of the open practices, and our affiliates helped us out, and of course we would be there every Saturday at Kinnick Stadium, bowl games, et cetera. But I just remember that first loss. It was actually on ESPN 2. I remember it. It was the old 6 o'clock start. It was an odd start on ESPN 2, where Iowa State roared back to win that game in Kinnick Stadium, and how much buzz Seneca Wallace actually had for the Heisman after that performance it only seems somewhat bizarre that it's the other quarterback in that game where one guy sprouted as a Heisman contender that ended up as the runner-up. But a guy like Robert Gallery, nobody had heard of him. Yeah, even a guy like you know, Steinbach that came in pretty well-regarded. We had guys, you know, later like Matt Roth. That's just sort of era, right? Chad mm-hmm. Greenway, Dallas Clark, who, I mean, Dallas Clark was just begging to get an opportunity Next thing you know, he's a Mackey Award winner, the iconic catch against Purdue, and he retires as one of the greatest Indianapolis Colts of all time. Um, it was just unbelievable to see that. I remember the old story. I mean, the old, you hear this all the time, but sometimes with romanticism, it gets better, right? They, they went to go down to Hines Community College, I think in Mississippi, even though Brad was a Florida kid, and they went to go, you know, the classic, let's go look at somebody else, and then spotted Brad Banks. You know what I mean? and Brad Banks having difficulty separating from Kyle McCann, right? And a year later, the guy's the Big Ten football player of the year, and he can barely outdistance Kyle McCann. Shout-out to Creston and everybody out listening in Kyle McCann country. But, you know, it's one of those sorts of things that I'll always remember. I, I, one thing I will quibble with you on, though, you know I love you. Yeah. I don't think there's any way, any way. I know you said during your segment, and I know you guys are going to replay it tomorrow like you said, I don't think there's any way they could have beaten USC in that game. The start was great with the C.J. Jones, but I just don't think it was in the cards. I think they had a huge momentum, but once the game settled, Trent, in my opinion, now John Walters was there. I wasn't there that night in, in Miami. I just tend to think USC was the better team. I agree with your Ohio State comment that if there was a Big Ten title game, it would be hard to keep Iowa out of it at that particular juncture. They might have won it if that was an innovation back then, but... I just felt like SC on that day, despite the rocky start for them, great start for the Hawks,
0: I felt SC was the better team, just my opinion. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Uh, the game could have been different. It was, it was 13, uh, what, 10-10 at the half in that one, and yeah. Iowa yeah. had Cading missed a field goal, something that he didn't do all season long. Banks Very was rare. off, yeah. yeah. I agree, certainly USC was better that day, but it, there was a chance it could have been that ugly. And if they would have played that game, like I said about Ohio State, Ohio State, if there was a Big Ten championship game in 0-2, Iowa not only beats the Buckeyes, I think they throttled them the first uh, Saturday in December. And if you'd play USC Iowa the first weekend in, in December, that would have been a lot better game, I'll tell you that much. I would agree.
1: I will say one thing that has changed, not just in the 16 years since that game or the many years it's been since I've been there, but there was a, there was an aspect, and this might be a little difficult for you because obviously you're a Hawk fan, but, you know, we were right in the middle of, you know, where you live now, and I mean, it, it is 50-50, right? Hawk-Cyclone, and it's a little different than maybe the other parts of the state as you head further east. But to me, what I really like about that game vis a what we're seeing today, in my opinion, Trent, is that back then, and I don't want to say this the wrong way, I think Cyclone fans were thrilled, just thrilled that they had marred the Hawkeye season to a certain degree. I don't think Iowa fans will look back on this season as anything but finally, like you say, but there was that sort of like, yep, we got them. And I just think Iowa State fans have moved on to a point where I think it's still huge because there is that little brother, big brother syndrome going on, but I think in 0-2 it was a gigantic feather in the cap and they would just walk with their chest strutted out like, yeah, we did this. I think the program has now gotten to a point, I always thought it was silly, it's like it's a great rivalry game, it's, you're not battling for a million recruits. It is some bragging rights. But to me, they've moved on to the point where if Iowa State were to do that to Iowa this year, and let's say Iowa would go on to have a great year, same thing as 0-2. Like Iowa State clips them early, and Iowa goes on to have a great year. I think most Cyclone fans would say, I don't care that we beat Iowa so much early in the season. I'm way more concerned, although I do like we beat Iowa, I am way more concerned about can we follow up last year? Can we get to eight wins? Can we get to nine? How good is Kemp with a full year under? Whereas I felt in the old days it would have been like, oh, we beat Iowa? Wait, we beat him at Kinnick? Wait, on national television? We can lose the rest of our games, I don't care. Like, I don't feel that attitude is there anymore, and for the Cyclone fan, that's a huge victory.
0: Yeah, I, I'm there with you. I, there, There certainly was a part back in this time frame, coming off the heels of 15 consecutive losses, Super Bowl—that right. that's a term that people like to throw around, and and it gets a negative connotation. And Hawkeye fans <laughs> like to use it to rile up the sure. Cyclone fans. And and I think to a certain level that was the case. But today, after what Campbell did last year and what they look to be building, that's not the case anymore. I mean, if the same, if something similar would happen this year, let's just say that Iowa goes eleven and one and goes to the Big Ten title game. Iowa State gets off okay. to a great start and collapses in the back half, including, well, they had that loss to UConn at the end of the year that year. If that happens, yep. I think the conversation is a lot different here in 2018 than it was in 2
1: I 100% agree with you. And just little things. Like, and, and I think this is – I remember that UConn game. Don't ask no. me why, but I remember that UConn game. Now, that was uh, – if I'm not mistaken, and uh, don't kill me on this, Cyclone fans, I'm going to go out and a that. that was senior day, and I want to say yep. it was Seneca's last home game – at Iowa State. I'm trying to go back into the old mind to remember. Um, That game had maybe – now, it was very cold that day. Not a huge surprise. (laughs) final game was a regular season cold. But there was not a huge turnout. And Seneca, obviously, the end of a brilliant two-year career, brought the program to really impressive heights. And I just felt like, again, who am I to say as I'm sitting in the warm press box? But (laughs) I just thought it would have been a little better of a turnout to say goodbye. Now, I understand the year started great, ended with a thud, and fans are disappointed. But I would tell you this, Trent. Let's just say the opposite happened. Let's just say they beat Iowa and then just had like a bad year, right? Mm -hmm. I think the way the organization and the way Pollard has set things up and the confidence that Campbell has right now, even though you don't really want to step back at this point, I still think when Oklahoma comes to town, when Texas comes to town, or whatever the case would be, this year obviously would be, I guess, Oklahoma, right? I still think you're going to see 50,000 in the seats. The difference was back then, once people sort of gave up on the season, even if you had the Iowa feather in the cap, they weren't showing up at the end of the season for things like Senior Day. And it really disappointed me just because I always thought of Iowa State fans, and I think you guys have said this on your show, they really are the most loyal group of fans you could ever want to meet, even a Hawkeye fan, right? Even a Hawkeye fan could admit that. So I think the difference is, back then, even though they had the feather and the cap win in 2 with the way the season fell apart, I didn't see the love at the end of the season for the seniors, for Seneca's last game. This year, if they were to sub their toe because of the culture Campbell's created and because of the way Pollard has continued to increase the season ticket sales, I still think you'd see almost a full house even if the season was going the wrong way. And there's something that says good about the culture if that's the case. I'm not saying they're going to fall flat on their face But in years past, with iconic generational Iowa State players, if they'd fallen flat, you saw a lot of empty seats. This go-around, if they fall flat, there's just been enough air put into Cyclone Nation where I think people could withstand even another bad year, and that speaks positively to the fans.
0: Zubin, uh, from the distant, distant past 16 years ago, making us both feel old to the present, and uh, as we, we are, know, <laughs> Yeah, we are we are getting old. I feel it every single day. Zoom in, uh Kawhi Leonard. Now you gotta help me out here. Kawhi, certainly a top five player in the league when he was healthy. Maybe you can argue even higher than that, top three player in the league. Him getting shipped off Toronto. Is this was this a message from Pop in your opinion? I don't think it was personal. I think a lot of people are looking at it as if, okay, you want to go to L.A.?
1: How about we send you to Ken? You know what I mean? I think that's what a lot of people look at it and say, all right, you think you're going to strong arm us and go here? We're going to do this. And I don't think that's the case. I, to me, it sounds crazy. This could be win-win. Obviously, if you're the Raptors, if this guy is healthy, this is likely going to be the most talented player that will ever play for you. Think about that for a second, right? I mean, in his prime, when healthy, he's a top two of three NBA player. And I absolutely believe, if he's healthy, if that this is arguably the most talented player that might ever play in the history of the franchise. Now, it's only been around since 95, 96. It's not a huge sample size. But I think you know what you're getting. I also feel that, obviously, with LeBron gone out of the East and the Raptors having won 59 games and being the top seed, I think they definitely feel like their window is now. And I love their GM. He traded Carmelo and got a pretty good haul. And now he traded this guy and got a pretty good haul. But one thing I would say for DeRozan, which really makes me interested, we were talking to Woj last night. Woj was up for, he told me, 20 straight hours yesterday while this deal was going on. 20 straight hours working on this deal. He said to me on SportsCenter, and I, you know, who am I to doubt this guy? He said that the best player, hands down, because the Spurs are not interested in going into rebuild mode they don't want a package of picks like Boston or Philly or some of these teams that have acquired a ton of picks. They don't want that. They want to remain competitive, and they want to remain in the playoff hunt. Can they win a title? I mean, who knows? It seems not possible or feasible at this juncture. But they don't want to go into complete rebuild. And Wode said the best proven commodity, not a draft pick that, in which we're going to have to wave the white flag and say we'll see in a couple years or three years, They want a guy that can provide immediate dividends. As good as Kawhi, you're not going to get a player-for-player swap probably that good. But Rhodes said the best player that was tangibly offered a name that had done anything in the league that the Spurs could look at was DeMar DeRozan. So whoever the Celtics offered in the mind of the Spurs was not as accomplished of a player today as DeMar DeRozan, whoever the Sixers offered, whatever the Lakers were willing to do. Um, obviously the Lakers would have to offer a bunch of young pieces if they wanted to. And so he said the idea was stay relevant, and the best way to stay relevant is to get a guy who's under contract. Uh, Two years ago, I believe he signed a five-year, $139 million deal. We need to get a guy that is going to be a winner for us on day one. And that's up to interpretation. Trent, I'll leave this up to you and the listeners, whether you think getting DeMar DeRozan as the best available player you could get is a good thing, or a bad thing. I don't think it's a bad thing, as many people are saying it is. I think it's actually a good thing. I think this guy doesn't get a lot of attention because of where he plays and obviously playing in tandem with Lowry. But there are a lot of people that feel like if the best player you could get for Kawhi Leonard, with no disrespect to Purtle and some of the other guys at the 2019 pick, that maybe, just maybe, this wasn't a great deal. But I actually think it was a pretty smart deal for San Antonio. And if I was a Spurs fan, I applaud the fact that they weren't willing to wave the white flag, get a bunch of picks, and just say, we'll see you in three years. That we're willing to, with this coach, and this system, and this culture, and LaMarcus Aldridge, and DeJounte Murray, that we are willing to see what it takes. So, very interesting, depending on how you feel, Trent, about DeMar DeRozan's skill level.
0: It's, uh, yeah, very interesting What, how good he is, you know, where he put him. Hey, he was playing clutch minutes in the uh, All-Star game down the stretch. He is a top 15 player, I think you could say, pretty easily in the league, and you add them to the mix with Pop and maybe get him to buy in a little bit more on the defensive end would help. But uh, that, that's a fun conversation. And a trade like this, we, we've seen swaps of superstars in the past. Is, is there an NBA trade of, of stars that measures up to what we see here?
1: I mean, I think there's a couple. The one thing I would say, and maybe it's just in case someone's screaming at the radio... Right now, I would say the one thing about DeMar DeRozan, which neither of us mentioned, which we should, is that he was benched in the playoffs this year. <laughs> that's, yeah, That's not great, right? I mean, obviously, he was on the bench when LeBron hit one of his two postseason game winners. I'm not going to fault him for that game winner, but it says a lot when your coach is under the gun. You're the number one seed. You're one of the top two players on the team. and He puts you on the bench. So, again, that's a conversation for another day, but I do feel, Trent, we should probably... Uh, Mentioned that uh, Mark Aguirre for Adrian Dantley. That's you know maybe as since we're old as we previously referenced, we might be able to remember that trade. That's a big one. Isaiah Thomas for Kyrie Irving. I'll be honest with you, that one's fairly recent, and that's a pretty big deal. I think. I don't think you see player for player swaps like in the NFL. If I'm not mistaken, like Champ Bailey was traded for like Clinton Portis or something. Mm, you know, like yeah, that's yeah. a that's a really rare player for player deal uh, in the NSL. But I think in the NBA uh, you do see them. Um, you know, Shack was traded for a couple guys that was decent. So um, I believe um, Tracy McGrady and Steve Francis were traded. We were, I'm trying to remember what we did last night on the show. <laughs> I think <laughs> Tracy McGrady and Steve Francis were once traded for each other, and T. Mack had won like two scoring types. So I think those are a few examples of some interesting player for player deals. With the most relevant, I guess, being Kyrie and uh, Isaiah Thomas because they're both still in the league, both are banged up. I think you kind of know what Kyrie is when he's healthy. You don't really know who that Dan Thomas is unless he's playing for the Celtics. So it is definitely rare, but I don't think it is like completely foreign, as people think.
0: Finally, uh, Zubin, something we've talked about a lot in the past and throughout this summer is baseball, how to improve, how to market it better to the younger generation. Well, Rob Manfred came out and said his star of the game. Mike Trout needs to do a little bit more. Very quickly, uh, the Angels responded with a release, and... Um, Trout says is he wants to play baseball what did you take away from uh, the little back and forth that we saw
1: yeah I mean I was surprised by both statements I, I was mostly surprised by Manfred I just don't understand what the point of that was I mean was he trying to put like Trout on notice like you gotta do this you gotta do that I just whatever the intended effect was it completely backfired but I would have loved to have known like If I'm Rob Manford, I went, Rob, what were you hoping would happen if you said that? You're right? Like, were you hoping Chow would be like, you're right, Rob? You know, like, like, what were you really hoping for there? And maybe, and maybe this, maybe we're just a little bit jaded, Trent, but maybe he was just actually honestly answering the question. You know, every once in a while, we're just so used to guys giving us canned responses and saying nothing that we're just sort of like, well, there must be some sort of uh, message behind that there's a possibility because there seems to be no rationale for why he would say, that. <laughs> I think it's possible. He was just like, you know what? Um, you know, this guy just needs to do more on his own. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, who's going to brand Jimmy B and TC you guys, right? Mm-hmm. You're not expecting KBG to, KBGG to do it. If you want the show to lift off, they can certainly help you, but you've got to be more invested than they do. Right. Same thing with Ken's show. You guys have to push it more than anybody else. And maybe Manford's just saying, like, listen, I'm running the whole sport. we got a bunch of stars. You're one of them. But while we're giving you the platform to go out 162 times a year, 81 times here in Anaheim, 81 other times in ballparks across the country and in Canada as well, um, you've got to hold up your end of the bargain. Maybe he was just being honest. And then on the other side, like, I mean, the angel statement is like, wow. I mean, like, yes. I mean they just came out like, I mean, like it was like a personal insult. So I think Manfred said it to not at all. Uh, be biting. I think it just was interpreted the wrong way. And I think the Angels just said, what is the worst possible way we could look at this in context? And they just fired off. I wouldn't call it blistering because it was so in praise of Mike Trout. It was a backhanded way of handing it to Manfred. So at the end of the day, I don't fault the Angels. That's their guy. That's their stud. By all accounts, he is everything the Angels said he is in that statement. I don't know, Mike Trout. Personally, I've interviewed several ball players. He's not among them. That could say something. I work on SportsCenter all the time. We've never sat down with Mike Trout. You know, maybe that's just his personality. I'm sure somebody at ESPN has done it. It's pretty rare. But I would just say that I just don't understand what Neighborhood is doing there because whatever the intended outcome was, there's no way it, it was supposed to end with him apologizing to Mike right, Trout, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Bad look and another one for Major League Baseball. With that, Zubin, we are out of time today. Thanks as always so much for joining us. We'll talk again soon. Sam So, Thank you, Trent. Zubin Mahete with ESPN. We get the break. Coming back on the other side, Ken Silverstein stopping by. Got a little Big Ten football talk and a little bit more with Ken as we take you up until 6 o'clock tonight. Jimmy B and TC. Continuing on, Jimmy B and TC, a solo edition this afternoon, up until 6 o'clock tonight, we got Ken Silverstein sitting in the hot seat with us here today. Ken, what's happening?
2: Just a Thursday in paradise. Trent, Tristan's what, what? <laughs> got the day off. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, this is not a holiday. Where the hoop might he be?
0: Well, and, and I got my two days off for the summer, Thursday and Friday of last week, so he got those off, off of course, because I can't you know, think that Jim could do the show alone. He'd probably blow no, the building no, up. No. So couldn't do no. that. So he gets Thursday and Friday off of last week. Now he gets Thursday and Friday off of this week. The old man's got it figured
2: out, doesn't he? What a scam. Seriously, <laughs> seriously. If I hadn't known him all these years, I think I'll stop there.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it's probably a good thing. He might be listening as he says he's, quote-unquote, working here this yes, afternoon. W-O-R-K-I-N-G. working.
2: Yeah. W-O-R-K-I-N-G. Exclamation point! Working, yes. Ugh,
0: okay, he is uh, quite the character. But it's you and me, and well, we got Big Ten Media Days starting on Monday. Ken, are you? Are you making the trek down to chi Town?
2: Yeah, I am. This is a uh, first time in a couple years that I'm going. Um, I don't know if I'm expecting a whole bunch. I've done a bunch of these uh, over the years, and um, but. You know, there's always something that usually somewhat pops. Uh be interested to see what Harbaugh does. That's always a, a three-ring circus when he takes the mic. The um, rest of it should be pretty quiet in the east. Um, I don't think anything earth-shattering is going to occur on that front in the west. You know, Wisconsin, everyone's going to pick Wisconsin, and mm-hmm. it's going to be up to Iowa and Northwestern, and I don't know, Partridge and Patriot, see if they can make a run at them begins, and I know I counted this down uh, when we met last week with the 50 days, do the math, we're at 42, so when we talk next Thursday, do the math again, we'll be down to 35 a day, so it's, it's getting there. Um, the ACC is having their meetings, what, right now? Mm-hmm. Big 12 has had theirs, I guess, already. Uh, what, the SEC has had theirs? So, yeah, it's coming, and that's a good thing for uh, not only the fans, but for us and Better
0: yet the fans. You mentioned Harbaugh, and I remember posing the question to you oh about, probably about a month back. Are we sure Shea Patterson is good as a lot of people are making him out to be? Could we say the same thing about Jim Harbaugh? I mean, there's been so much buzz. They've been close, but we've seen it happen before. A guy just never could get over the hump. Are we sure that Jim Harbaugh is a great coach for Michigan?
2: Well, he's a great coach because he's got the resume. I mean, he's a Michigan guy, Michigan quarterback, had obviously success in Ann Arbor, made it to the pros, had a nice career. I mean, we're not obviously going to put him in the Hall of Fame right. in Kenton, Ohio, but had a nice career, and you know, then obviously uh, small college, Stanford, and now Ann Arbor. So he's got he's got he's got all the buttons pushed, but he better. Better, 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 better win against Notre Dame. He's got to beat Michigan State. And more importantly, he's got to beat Ohio State. He's got to win. I don't know if, he, if he's got to win all three, but he's got to win at least two of those. He's got to win at least two of those. And he probably needs to, be, needs to be Penn State also. So he probably changed that. He probably is going to have to win three of those four games. Can he do it? They're good enough defensively to do it. I mean, they are that good. Uh, Don Brown is tremendous. I don't have to tell you how good a defensive coordinator is. He's got a lot of five-stars and high four-star players. Uh, their best talent is on the defensive side. It's been that way basically for the last uh, couple of years. So I don't see, even though they did lose a bunch of guys to the NFL, I don't expect a major drop-off uh, defensively. Uh, my concerns for Michigan offensively, or uh, let's take them one at a time. Do the young wide receivers become more consistent? Number two, these are in no particular order. Do they find one running back who is a twelve to 1,400-yard guy? I don't think that guy's on on scholarship right now, but maybe somebody pops this year. Number three, in no particular order, offensive line. It's better than it has been, but it's not as good as it should be at Michigan State. Now, it may change this go-around. Ed Warner, who last year was at Minnesota, before that was at Ohio State, is fought by some, and I'll raise my hand, as one of the better offensive line coaches in the country. If he can't get it done, nobody's going to get it done on the offensive line, coaching-wise. So I think the Michigan offensive line play will be better. Now let's get to Shea Patterson. He is, talk about big man on campus, Mm -hmm. he be the man. He's got to get it done. I went back. I've watched some of his Mississippi tapes. He was very, very highly recruited as a five-star, thought by many to be, if not the best, the second-best high school quarterback when he came out. But I want to see him do it. Okay, I want to see him do it for 10, 11, 12 games. We'll know something after the Notre Dame game, but if he lights it up or if he stinks it, I don't want to go one way too much overzealous or just the opposite via being too overzealous, but he's got to play really, really well. And if he does, they should be able to win 10, 11 games. If he is good but not great, then they're probably looking at 9 to 10 wins, which is a good season, but not good enough in Michigan.
0: Yeah, 9 and 3 this year for most everybody with the schedule that they have. You'd sign up for that, but it's Michigan and the expectations with Harbaugh. They're raised 10 and three year one. That was a big surprise. That was great. 10 and three in year two. All right, treading a little water. Eight and five last year. It feels like it's go time. That defense, I love. I mean, I love what they have up front. Rashawn Gary and company. That defense can be elite. If Patterson isn't quite as good, though. Maybe those young receivers don't. Yeah. Higdon, is he a difference maker? He's a nice running back. Is he a yeah. difference maker? Probably not. But then you have the road trips at Michigan State, at Ohio State, early at Northwestern. Of course, the opener against Notre Dame. And that's not even including the home games with Wisconsin and Penn State. That It doesn't matter who we're talking about. You could put that schedule in front of Clemson. You can put that schedule in front of Alabama. And to expect them to go 11-1 or 12-0, and it'd be difficult for those teams. Well,
2: no, you're right. And, and, that's, and that's going to be the true test. And Patterson, you know, look, it, it's very difficult, but we do it all the time, so I'm guilty, to look at a roster of basically 18, 19, even some 17-year-olds, 17, 18, 19, 20-ish young guys and say, okay, here's the schedule. You need to go 11-1 or 12-0. He's <laughs> right to verbalize that, but the execution pulling it off is another story. I, he's got to do it. Somehow he's got to do it, or I think he's going to be in the NFL a year from now. Uh, where in the NFL? I don't know. But he's got to win some of these rivalry games. He can't be losing to Michigan State every year. He can't be losing to Ohio State every year. He's got to beat... Other four or five big games, I can make an argument, because it's not conference, that he can lose to Notre Dame as long as he keeps it close. And let's say for conversation purposes, he loses 24-21 on a late field goal. Okay, everyone's giddy in South Bend. Here, here, ho-ho. That's not a terrible loss, okay? It's the opener. The offense is going to be new to Patterson. He may make some plays. Well, let's say he throws a late pick, okay? Short field, field goal, Notre Dame wins. It's not the end of the world. But those other conference games, in no particular order, Wisconsin, Michigan State, Penn State, and then we know the last game of the year this time around in Columbus, um, he's got to win. If he loses to Notre Dame, he's got to win a minimum of three of them. He's probably going to have to win four of them. Because if he, if he wins four of those five, you're looking at 10-2. and two. Now, the plus for him is if he goes 10-2 and two and one of the losses is against Notre Dame, He's got one conference loss. That will put him in the hunt very much in the East. Then it's a question of who did he lose to? So as good as the East is going to be, I don't know about you, Trent, I, I don't see anybody going through perfect. I just I don't think it's possible. I just don't. Um, Ohio State's got to play Penn State on the road, Michigan State on the road. We've already gone over what Michigan's got to accomplish uh, Penn State's non-conference schedule is not very good. they got a rivalry game with with Pitt. All right, I get rivalry games, but they're better than Pitt by a bunch. Other than that, I don't think they, they play anybody particularly uh, non-conference. Um, Ohio State's schedule, they open up against the Beavers of Oregon State. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> they're going to score 50-plus, if not more, on on the Beavers. Uh, they do have TCU. They're going to be top 20. It's a nice non conference game. Is it better than playing Notre Dame uh, in regards to Michigan? Mm, probably not. Probably not. I, I would put Notre Dame ahead of, of TCU, but TCU is decent, maybe better than decent. Gary Patterson is a really good coach, and I think they'll be, and I, I've seen, I think you've seen also TCU in a roughly top 20 ish yeah. uh, preseason post or so whatever that's uh, worth. So. Again, getting back to Michigan, if I'm right and it's one loss, and that's about as most optimistic as I think you can paint it, who's the loss to and when did they lose, and was it a home loss or was it a road loss? So there's a lot written into it. Can't wait. I mean, I'm, I'm counting the days. I'm like, I'm like a little kid counting the days until Christmas. Seriously.
0: What uh? What coach are you most excited to talk to? We'll leave Urban Meyer aside, and and you don't have to try to butter people up. He <laughs> won't
2: here with... be Urban because Urban, Urban won't say anything.
0: <laughs> well, and, and there's a lot of people that way. Kirk probably won't say anything. No, Kirk won't say anything. So who you could who's roll the guy Kirk you're in from five years ago? It'll be the same stuff, <laughs> just different you're names.
2: You're exactly
0: right on that one. So who is it? Who who are you excited to talk to?
2: Wow. This is not exactly the flashiest link when it comes to P.J. <laughs> Fleck is a hoot. Okay, I mean I don't take him super seriously because I'm not 17, 18, 19 years old, and I don't buy the you know that Rob Ross stuff a mm-hmm. whole bunch. Yeah, okay? I'm way past that in life, but I'll give him credit. He's consistent with it, and you know for 15 minutes I can handle it. So um, I think I think at this point um, he would be someone. Scott Frost is going to get a lot of attention, obviously, uh, because of what he did at UCF and first year with Huskerland and and, uh, and Nebraska. So he'll be interesting just because he's so new. Um, Franklin's pretty entertaining. Um, he's not bad when the mic is on. Um, Antonio is boring, quite frankly. Great coach, but boring is H-E-L-L. Uh, Urban is boring. Um, let me think. Anybody else? No, that's about it. Kirk is Kirk. We talked about him. Um, But but, Pat Fitzgerald's not bad. He's pretty. I wouldn't say he's out there, but he's he's got pretty good answers, and they're not too cliche at times. So, and I think he's feeling pretty good about his program. Uh, They're winning now. They're in the hunt in the West, and if Thurston's okay, and that's going to be obviously one of the major questions. Or his uh, Northwestern Wildcats, and let's assume and hope that he is okay. Uh, then Northwestern's got a shot in the West. I don't think they're going to beat Wisconsin for the top spot, but um, they got a shot, and that's you know all you can ask for in the West right now, uh, unless you're Wisconsin and everyone on this planet is picking North Excuse me, is picking uh, Wisconsin to win the West once again.
0: As they should. I mean, I don't think there's any doubt. You uh, you go through, and I, I think there's knocks at all the other teams in the West. There's also things that you can get excited about uh, on each of them, but they are clear-cut number one. Ken, going to be very interesting. Hey, before we run out of time, did want to talk. A- we're we're probably going forward, I'm going to guess, not talk a whole lot of Cleveland Cavs with you anymore without LeBron there. Yes, thank you, LeBron. Our NBA conversations are are pretty much over, but I did want to mix in a little bit of baseball. The Indians, though they have control this Central, a little bit, I think, of a disappointment this year. It doesn't matter because they're going to win the division, but very well in the DS makes them uh, have to play three of the five games on the road. This Indians team, they go out today, they acquire Brad Hand. What's the tenor of the city with the Indians?
2: Well, I think they're excited about Brad Hand. He's a two-time All-Star. He's a lefty. He's got controllable years on his contract. Um, But they gave up, let me tell you, they gave up one big-time talent. Uh, Francisco Mejia is going to be a really, really good player. He's 22 years old. Uh, He... It depends on what service you look at. ESPN had him as the fifth best overall prospect in the minor leagues. Another service had him at number 15. Okay, split it down the middle. He's basically a top 10-ish uh, talent. They gave up a lot uh, in him. Um, whether San Diego will put him in the major leagues right away, I think they might. I think they might. Now, what's interesting, what happened the other day, You know, you're around this a long time, you sort of can smell – a rat. He's been hitting lights out. This is Mahea, the kid who got traded today from the Indians in San Diego in the Brad Hand trade. And they bring him up, and he's in the starting lineup Saturday night against the Yankees, hitting 6 DH. So I'm sitting with some people at the game at Progressive Field on Saturday, and we're talking about the following. They're showing him, okay? There's no doubt in my mind something's going on. I didn't know it was San Diego. I'm not telling you that I'm that smart, but that was a showcase, okay? There's no doubt about it. Now, what surprised me and others comes Sunday, final game of the four-game series, final game before the All-Star break for the Yankees and Indians. I get the uh, lineup when I get to the stadium, and I see that he's not in the lineup. And I go, that's interesting. Why show him Saturday night and not play him on Sunday afternoon if, quote, quote, you're thinking about trading him? So, I don't know what happened there. I'm going to have to do Some major dig in there. But he is a big-time prospect. Uh, San Diego's getting a lot back in return. And I think the kid has a chance a year, a couple years down the road to be an all-star. I think he's that good of an offensive player. They gave up their best prospect. And it's not somebody that's in single A or double A. He was triple A, literally this close to being in the major leagues every day. And they traded him. So, we're at hand. Better do a real good job because the young man Mejia is going to be a really good player for the Padres.
0: Good stuff, Ken. As always, appreciate you joining us here today. We will do it again next week. Thank you.
2: Look, folks, and have a good week, everybody.
0: That's Ken Silverstein checking in as the Indians begin the back half of the schedule with a seven and a half game lead over my Minnesota Twins. in my Twins polo today. It's not going to matter. It really isn't. The American League set. It's it's set unless Oakland's got to run. I I said a couple of days ago I did take a little taste at Oakland to win the World Series. Not because I think the A's are going to win, but at eighty to one, if if you're a gambler and when it becomes legalized in this state, I'm gonna try to help all you guys along if you're trying to eke out a, a positive side because that's all I'm trying to do. You know what? I lose more times than not. It's an entertainment tax, but I like to play with futures. I I think it's fun hedging against yourself. But at 80-1, to if Oakland overtakes Seattle for the wild-card spot, they get in, more than likely they're going to get bludgeoned by either the Yankees or the Red Sox, whoever finishes second in that division. But with an 80-1 to ticket in my hand, I can hedge against that, and I can make a profit. It's all about profitability. It doesn't have to be pretty. You don't have to hit 60%. No, no. Profitability. That's what we're working for. With that 81 ticket... I got a chance just make a profit that's what we're working to do we'll take in timeout when we come back we will put a cap on things getting ready for sports tonight yeah we actually have it that's right tonight cubs cards nice kickoff off the second half of the baseball schedule we will get into that on the other side final segment up next here on 1700 Back one final time as we roll through on a Thursday. It's Jimmy B and TC, minus the Jimmy B portion. Trying Condon all alone. Luckily, we've had a lot of great guests today. Seth Gruen, he stopped by earlier in the program, talked a lot of Big Ten football with him. Mike Bates on Major League Baseball, always fun. Having a conversation with the fellow Twin fan, we talked a whole lot of baseball. Zuba Mahente from ESPN, he was by, and Ken Silverstein also joining us. So, Miss any portion of the show, you can always find it over on the podcast page, 1700kbgg.com. You can find it over there. And uh, away we go here on a Thursday night with sports back. Yeah, professional sports back after the respite last night. SPs were out there. We get Cubs and Cardinals this evening. Certainly looking forward to that and, and just looking forward to a normal night out and about. On Monday, on Wednesday, had uh, high school baseball here on the airwaves as was in uh, West Des Moines on Monday night and then down in Indianola last night. State tournament is set up. We'll have full coverage. In fact, beginning tomorrow... With the Class 1A field, we'll be keeping an eye on Martinsdale-St. Mary, our neighbors to the south. They get Council Bluff-St. Albert tomorrow, one for that one in Class 1A. Then on Monday, it'll be Class 2A action, and we'll see Van Meter, one thirty their matchup against Alta Aurelia in the 4-5 game. Continuing on Tuesday, on Tuesday, it'll be Carlisle. They get... Waverly, Shell, Rock, Carlisle, the number 3 seed against Waverly. That's a 5 o'clock first pitch on Tuesday from Principal Park earlier in the day, 11 a.m. Bondurant-Farrar, the, uh, the Cinderella of the state tournament, coming in with a 17-15 and 15 record beginning district play with a losing record, but they'll get a power in high school baseball. Davenport Assumption in the opening round at 11 o'clock and then on Wednesday, We will be locked and loaded. Starting at 11 a.m., it'll be Waukee against West Des Moines Valley, an all-CIML matchup. Valley and Waukee meet for the fifth time this season. Top seed of Johnson, then at 1.30, play Cedar Rapids, Washington. And then that evening at 7.30, it'll be Urbandale and Marshalltown. Looking forward to that continued coverage here of high school baseball presented by Rush Niggett and Brick Gentry PC, along with Bennigans on Merle Hay Road. Speaking of that... Our buddy Greg from Benegins is going to be stopping by tomorrow during the program. Looking forward to talking with him. He's a Packers fan, so we will go back and forth a little bit with the Packers Bears rivalry. Think he's going to win that argument, but he'll be by tomorrow. We got a whole lot more in store for you on a Football Friday. We've had Big 12 media days this week. Big 10 gets going next week. Should be a really good time. Enjoy the Cubs Cardinals tonight, and enjoy everything else going on in the world of sports. Great storylines also. What will be happening tomorrow, the championship games and softball, and how about a local matchup? ADM, well, a lot of people anticipated we'd be seeing the Tigers there against Des Moines Hoover making their second-ever appearance at the state tournament, and they're looking to make it two for two. What a title in 82 Looking to do the same here in 2018. Congratulations to the Husky ladies. And uh, certainly going to be interested in seeing that one, that championship game, tomorrow evening at 545 in Class 4A in state softball. And also Collins-Maxwell, an opportunity for them, their first ever title. Collins-Maxwell, the number one seed in Class 1A. So a lot of great local storylines going on. We'll keep you covered with all of that. Big Ten Media Day is right around the corner. We'll have plenty of Hawkeye talk and a Cyclone recap from what we saw this week at Big 12 Media Days. With that, we're out of here. Thank you so much for listening in, as always. Back tomorrow, starting at noon. Myself and Ken Miller will be here from noon until 2, the only live and local sports show in the state of Iowa over your lunch hour. And then on your drive home, Jimmy B and TC, all here on 1700 KBGG.